Hello, and welcome back to The Kids Table, a podcast where we discuss all things child development with a research and policy bent. I'm Haley. And I'm Caitlin. We are a researcher and policy analyst translating the science of child development for the public and integrating it with policy, practice, and trends in tech and business. Each month, we start with covering the latest in cutting-edge research in popular media and in the policy sphere, and then we pop to our guest portion where you get to hear straight from an expert about the incredible work that they are doing. In honor of our guest for this month's episode, who I'm very excited for you all to hear, we wanted to start off by exploring what children's learning looks like across the globe and how our respective responses to the pandemic have shaped that experience. Compared to other industrialized countries, the U.S. has what amounts to a super decentralized education system. So instead of having like one, you know, national uh, education system, we really dedicate the power or sort of disperse that power to the states and allow each state to set their own standards of performance, curriculum structure, and funding. Now, there is this federal Department of Education. There are national standards that have to be met, and there's federal funding that comes down, but this uh, state-level ownership really gives states a high degree of autonomy, and it also means that educational performance across the country is really variable, and there, there aren't really scaled, coordinated efforts to make the U.S. more globally competitive. Totally true. And thinking, too, about like teachers and licensure, I remember getting my li- uh, teaching license in Massachusetts, and then I moved to New York, and I was <laughs> like, wait, like I don't get to be a teacher to <laughs> start over? So yeah, it's definitely states' rights play such a huge role in the U.S. education system. And among many other factors, this is part of the reason why American students, in terms of their test scores and their graduation rates, often score lower than countries like Finland, Canada, and South Korea. And the pandemic, of course, took an added toll. So the National Assessment of Educational Progress from 2022 showed historic declines in American students' knowledge and skills and widening gaps between the highest and the lowest scoring students which, of course, also uh, intersects with racial and wealth gaps um, in ways that mirror funding for schools and are reflective of broader educational segregation across the U.S. Right. And we've talked about this, you know, between you and me and also on this podcast. These metrics are very important as a measure for of performance on traditional Mm -hmm. standards. But what it reflects is not just about kids losing content time. You'll remember us talking a bit about this in our episode with Mrs. Threadgill last year. This is also wrapped up in depressed mental health and loss of access to other critical services like regular school meals, childcare, and before and after school care, uh, disability services, and also economic supports for working families. So there's a, a whole suite of other factors really wrapped up in access to formal schooling that families depend on that during the mm-hmm. pandemic they, they really couldn't access anymore. Yeah. And while, while the federal government did make historic strides in passing supportive legislation that rolled out financial support, stabilization dollars, eviction moratoriums, and lots of other measures that were really just designed to sort of get people through the worst of the pandemic, with big corporations price gouging and years of underfunded social safety net programs, we still saw drastic inequities that existed before the pandemic only get worse. Mm-hmm. And it's important to note that, especially, you know, Haley and I, we are not the test all of the test all be all mentality. Um, test scores are such a small fraction of what, um, you know, is reflective of children's educational success. 
there's a huge range of skills that are more important than test scores um, or, you know, even specifically, you know, academic outcomes, but skills like creativity, critical thinking, intellectual confidence, um, confidence in general. These are all skills that children really need to support, uh, that, that schools need to support for children to become really successful adults. Absolutely. It's as AFT president Randy Weingarten said, quote, teachers must have the freedom to teach these skills, which may not be measured on standardized tests, but which are the measure of a vibrant citizenry. I love that. A vibrant citizenry. I want to be a vibrant citizen. (laughs) What would the world look like if we were all vibrant? Um, So with these broader rollbacks on social supports, is it really any wonder that we're seeing people struggle to get back on their feet here? So there's this lack of good paying, dignified jobs across the care sector. Um, Can people really afford to stay in those kinds of roles? Um, You know, the gap between wages right now and the cost of living in so many places is just growing. Mm -hmm. And even with, you know, recovery of jobs as we've come out of the pandemic, we still have shortages of teachers, school psychologists, care workers, home health aides, pediatric specialists, food and hospitality and service workers, even the financial and durable goods manufacturing sectors are having a hard time filling those jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And without policymakers investing in supportive programs or pressure across the broader labor labor market to make jobs like that more appealing to people who want to be able to make a living wage with just one job and not three, mm-hmm. um, it will help them, you know, support their families and feel economically secure and like they're able to put aside savings. And, you know, we're, we're we're really just going to continue to struggle to attract people to the workforces that we need to fill. Yeah, and it's becoming increasingly common that people are creating these piecemeal jobs, right, or piecemeal careers out of several different jobs. And it's really driving these broader problems at the macroeconomic level, driving political decisions that we make. It's a broader sociological problem. Yeah, exactly. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the whole debt ceiling debacle. Apologies to our dear listeners if you're not into financial chatter. It's not strictly my wheelhouse either. Uh, But for folks not familiar, the debt ceiling or debt limit is a cap on how much debt the federal government is allowed to accumulate. Now, they set that limit. Our senators and and representatives in Congress set that limit. So it's, in essence, totally arbitrary. Congress raised it three times under the Trump administration, for example, without any strings attached. So it's not strictly tied and is not strictly tied to future spending. Those decisions about, you know, how we want to set the budget and where we want to allocate funds for different programs happens uh, during the annual congressional appropriations process. And you can go back and listen to February's episode if you want to hear me wax poetic on that. So wouldn't most people agree having a ton of debt is a bad thing? It can drive down credit. It can hike up interest rates. It can make it just more difficult to borrow in the future, right? Totally. Yeah, that's true. But the problem with the federal debt is that it's not quite like reaching an upper boundary on your credit card. It's tied to already agreed upon spending on all of the programs across the federal government that millions of families rely on. So refusing to either recoup those funds, like make more money through taxes, which is where the federal government largely gets its money from, uh, for example, taxing multi-billionaires, centibillionaires, people who have more than $100 billion in net worth, who would still be uber, uber, uber wealthy, even if they paid a fraction of, of their fair share in taxes, or to raise the limit on spending just to say, 
the government is allowed to accumulate more might mean that the federal government wouldn't have enough money to pay those bills. Congress has since passed a debt ceiling agreement um, that we've called the financial or sorry, the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023. But in general, hitting an actual debt ceiling would mean plunging the country into a very, very preventable recession. Okay, so remind me, what does this have to do with kids and education? Right. Well, Congress and the Biden administration have successfully passed that agreement that averts a debt ceiling crisis, at least until January of 2025. But in that agreement, one of the concessions that were that was made was caps on spending for non-defense, non-veteran healthcare funds across all of the other government agencies that oversee the programs that we're talking about, like Health and Human Services, which finances childcare support, and other educational services. So for the next two years, there is a set limit on how much money Congress is able to spend across all of those programs. And one of the stipulations in the Act, too, is that the federal government will be rescinding all non-obligated pandemic-era funds from schools and education programs. So what? Any- <laughs> yeah. So anything not yet spent, they're basically taking it back, um, even if it could be used for other oh, services. No. Programs, yeah. They, they are basically saying, if you haven't spent this money, too bad, too late. Um, we they The general oh, agreement. Oh, that's the that worst. It's I, like when you save your vacation days and then they're like, oh, they don't roll over. Like, you didn't spend them early enough. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so this corresponds to very real services for kids in education. Think about, you know, cut resources for special education services, English language instruction, teacher pay, which for any of us. No, no. Yeah, this is is pretty drastic. And academic programs, administrative operations, construction projects for schools, lower pension funds for school employees. So there's a whole cascade of uh, different programs that are going to be affected by this. Now, there's a there's going to be a bit of variation on the state and local level. I mean, keep in mind, education is very decentralized in the U.S., so what that actually looks like from state to state could vary, but on the whole and at the national level, this is a pretty significant concern for advocates. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so that brings me back to is it any wonder we have a shortage of workers in jobs that we have not taken steps to protect or even make more livable? And what can we do about this? Are there upsides to this problem? How do we fix it? Yeah, well, in terms of funding these programs at scale so that activists and experts in in implementation can actually use those dollars to bring about the kinds of outcomes that we want to see, that's an ongoing conversation. We are now in the midst of the appropriation cycle. So each subcommittee within Congress has to sit down and decide how they're going to allocate the now limited funds to the different programs that they oversee. Um, so it's, it's an ongoing conversation. But when we're thinking about how children learn best and you know what that learning looks like around the globe and how we can sort of share best practices from one another in this in this common understanding of a, of a global citizenry, of a vibrant citizenry. <laughs> yes. It, it might help us uh, understand that by hearing from a teacher who's in the thick of it. Great idea. I'll bring in our guest. All right. So this month, we're joined by the incredible Kiera Reed. Kira graduated from Northwestern University with a bachelor's in social policy and from Georgia State University with a master's in elementary education and teaching. During that time, she worked as a teaching fellow with Breakthrough of Greater Philadelphia, which is where we first met. Um, And she later became an educator 
with the Centennial Academy Charter School. Deciding to make the leap abroad in mid-2021, Kira took a position teaching third grade in India. And when she's not in the classroom, Kira takes advantage of her overseas adventures. She loves to travel and cook and read and expand on her fitness journey. Welcome, Kira. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us, even though there's like about a nine hour time difference. It's good to see you. Yes, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, and it's like nine and a half. The so 30 minutes definitely mm-hmm. makes a difference. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird time. Echoing a huge, huge, huge thank you for joining us on the podcast. It is such a treat to meet you, and I'm really excited to hear about your experiences. Um, I wonder if, for context and for listeners who are maybe recent um, to the podcast, we've interviewed a few guests who gave us some insights into the educational context of the U.S. Uh, My sister, Tara Threadgill, told us a bit about teaching high school, English, and theater. Caitlin's sister, Kristen Stack, shared her experience as a school psychologist. Olga Bakan gave us a deep dive into anti-racist education, just to name a few. But this really is our first foray into what an international education system looks like, or the experience of teaching internationally, I should say. So um, can we start at square one? What what is international teaching? Who are your students? And what's that like? Yeah, so um, when I jumped into international teaching, I had only known maybe one or two teachers who had ever taught internationally. Um, And so I didn't even know what I was really getting myself into. Um, But what I've learned going into international teaching is that um, it's actually a broader umbrella for a a few different things. And so um, in my case, um, international teaching is... um, a school that is actually sponsored um, by the United States. And so because um, the U.S. has many different um, consulates and embassies all over the world, they have diplomats all over the world, they actually um, provide education for those families. And so um, what that looks like is that my school... um, in its charter, like it was created for those students. Um, But at the same time, there are also international schools that are for profit. Um, You can go into international teaching, like teaching English um, in local schools. Uh, So really it's a broad um, area of teaching, Um, but but in my case, it is um, a US centric school um, and my students, for because of that, um, many of them are American, but it's not the largest population. Um, it's actually very interesting, and I didn't. I knew this because I. They told me in my interview, but going in, I would not have thought that. Um, my the highest population at my school is Korean, and so because of where I live and the companies that are here, um, there's a huge Korean population, and so um, many of the companies actually partner with the school um, to send their kids there. And so I think that becomes like a part of the package for um, families who move there. We also have a huge French population and then just uh, families from other countries as well, Switzerland, uh, Germany, um, South Africa. And again, because many of these uh, countries have diplomats living in this area or 
companies have a lot of families living in this area. And so then I, I think like their draw um, or, or a perk, a benefit is to be able to offer them um, like an independent school education. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of the families are kind of um, expats or um, they kind of work for the local government. And is it all in English? I know because you mentioned there's a bunch of different countries of origin, but is all the instruction in English? Yeah, so um, 100% of instruction is in English. Um, they do, I mean, except for like their foreign language classes. So we do still have um, foreign language requirements. And so um, many of my students take Spanish, um, but then in middle school, they can opt. It's like French or Spanish. And then in high school, they actually have a lot more options um, because it is a AP and IB school. And so mm-hmm. um, I was reading like some of the tests that kids were taking this year. And it was like Japanese or Chinese um, or Mandarin and um, just a, a lot of other things. So it becomes very interesting because uh, for many of my students, they know um, more than one language. So like once they're learning, um, of course, they're learning English when they get to our school, but then they come in already knowing, you know, other languages. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool, but 100% of um, instruction in their content, um, core content classes is English. Wow. And this is third grade. So these kids are like eight years old, eight or nine, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, that's another thing that I learned here is that age is calculated different around the world. And so, um, I didn't know that, um, going into teaching here, but then, so then they always, the kids make a difference there. Um, they're like, uh, are you nine in like U S age or Korean age? Yeah. It's very, um, it's funny. We have that conversation all the time, but yeah, I think they're around eight or nine. Yeah. Most of them. And is Korean age generally considered a year older? Cause I know yeah. at least. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I Chinese think when they're born, too, they yeah, start at one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm picturing little kids being like, are you U.S. nine or are you Korean? <laughs> really cute. And are a lot of the students, um, are they pretty transitional, the families, or do the families tend to stay in the school for a long time? Like, I know you've been there for about two years, but do you have a sense of, like, how transitory it is? Yeah, I do. Um, So it's a very transient population. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of the families, like I said, because they are expats and I think their companies, like they come there, just like teaching, um, coming here originally, like my contract was two years. Um, I don't know if they necessarily um, in other companies get to extend it. Um, but I know like for diplomats, like at the U.S. consulate, um, you are, I don't, you really can't extend. I think they kind of move you along um, every two years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so definitely um, the kids are, not there for um, a long period of time. Um, and so, yeah, that I think that definitely impacts your community. Um, but I think because the teaching, uh, the faculty there are also pretty transient just because it's common for teachers to take their two-year contract and then 
um, go on. I mean, some, some teachers do extend, um, like I have, but, um, yeah, the, the population is, is pretty transient. Um, and also because of it's like dependent on, um, the contracts that, their families have at work they also right. not just like leaving but also starting so um every like second semester um we like in december we lose a lot of students because their families are moving on and then in january we, we get a lot of students um and so it's i've be that's very common to um or it's similar to the school that i was in in Atlanta actually and so um I had some like teacher tips and all of that already for like how to make sure that students uh feel welcome in the classroom and how to I guess like ease the burden um not not the burden but ease the load for the teacher um like having new students come in in the in the middle of the year also um having students leave so we do a lot of work with the kids just to make sure that they um feel welcome in their classroom community and that even for the kids who are staying, that they feel supported because they, they, they're losing friends, um, right. which is difficult. Yeah. And it strikes me too, that a lot of these eight to nine year old kids, like a lot of times they're moving to a new country and like you're among one of the first faces that they see in their new place. So I'm curious, like, you know, how do you help kids acclimate? Cause that's such an, or acclimate cause that's such an important role for them. Yeah, so that's actually um, one thing that I, again, I didn't know what I was getting into with international teaching, but mm -hmm. the social emotional learning um, part mm -hmm. of it, uh, I always knew it was important because I'm just like, you're in school, you're not just teaching kids content, like you're mm -hmm. um, helping to build character, you're helping mm -hmm. to just like, again, I like to use buzzword, but like teaching the whole child um, yeah. mm -hmm. in a sense and like, and they're always learning. And one thing that I always say is like kids, for, for many of them, like this is their first experience with yeah. like with conflict or with right. moving or with learning a new language or with, you know, being in an environment where they may be the only student who speaks um the language that they speak at home, you know, so it, it really matters that you have uh, teachers who are like aware of these things. And so, um, yeah, I think we spend a lot of time um, just really talking about community, building community. Um, we talk about diversity and like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? Because when you, when you're in your classroom, you, you, like I said, you may be the only student who speaks Japanese or who speaks um, French. And so how does that, like, what does that look like for a student? And and honestly, like, as an adult, I know that that's difficult for me. Like, even when I'm in um, spaces um, in India and I'm like, oh, I don't speak the local language. Um, I speak English. Like, are other people like you just you you become aware of that and so as an adult um when that's challenging for me like in situations where I can't communicate um I know how like overwhelming that can be and so for for students um or for children you I can only imagine um 
what they're going through. And so just really like offering grace, uh, being compassionate, um, but also like building their confidence and all of that and, re- and talking about the beauty of like differences and um, mm-hmm. but also like how we can come together, um, making friends across um, nationalities and all of that. It's just yeah. it's 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 new for everyone. And so, um, yeah, we, we definitely do a lot of that in the in the classroom. And one thing that um, someone said to me this past year, because um, we were talking about a student who was just transitioning um, to the school. And we we noted that like, kids don't choose this. Like for me, I chose yeah, to like leave right. the US and right. go to India. Like for mm-hmm. a kid, they did not say, oh, let's yeah. like pick up <laughs> and move across the world. when like I had yeah. friends already and I loved yeah. my school. Like they are like kind of just along for the ride. And so while kids learn to love the school, I think in the beginning, it is just a shock um, because it's different than anything that they know. And I can imagine too, it's complicated because kids are coming to that environment for different reasons too. Like my, my parents are former army. And so my earliest, you know, learning experiences were at a department of defense school where a lot of the other kids, even if we all spoke the same uh, you know, language and, and knew that we were in a sort of unique environment. We at least had that shared background. Like our parents were in the service and that was, that was sort of a thing. So you make friends quickly because you know, people are going to get, you know, st- restationed elsewhere, but these kids might be cycling in and out at different intervals and for different reasons because their parents are doing different work and they're coming from different circumstances. So I can imagine that adds like a, another complicated layer to like how to interact and, and really relate to the people around you. Yeah, 100%. Um, and the kids, they, they will say like, oh, our fathers work in the same company. Um, but like you said, it's there are also different companies or different reasons that everyone's there. And then on top of that, um, everyone's not an expat. And so we do have a local population as well. Um, and it's, it's actually pretty small because my school actually places a cap on um, how many students we can have that are um, citizens of India. And so, um, and I think that's just for reasons like, so that our school doesn't like take all of the students from um, other competing schools. And so um, there's that part of it, but then we do, so those students who are, who actually are from um, India and live in the city, they, we'll start here like in elementary school and then actually go all the way through um, high school. So um, we do have a small percentage there, um, but it's, like I said, it's, it's small. Interesting. Yeah. And thinking about this idea of what you said about, you know, kids didn't necessarily choose to be there, but you chose to be there. I'm really curious, how did you choose to, to do this adventure? You know, because for me, I'm like, this is so adventurous. I can't imagine like you know, living in another country for two years? And how did you, like, know that's what you wanted to do in your career and your personal life? And how did it come together for you? Yeah, so, um, like I mentioned before, I knew about international teaching. um, And when Mm -hmm. I was in high school, did the IB program. And so my IB coordinator, um, I think maybe the year or two after I left, um, she went abroad to Dubai. 
So I knew that she did it. And then when I was doing student teaching, um, one of the teachers that was in my grade level, um, she spoke very, very highly about um, international teaching. She also went to Dubai. And so those were the two people that I knew. Um, I didn't really talk to them in depth about their experiences, but I I knew that they did it. And Mm -hmm. so in my head, international teaching was like, oh, move to Dubai. Um, And so, (laughs) but I also, I went into teaching because I am very passionate about um, equity. And I know that in the U.S., um, the education system is not. Um, yep. equitable and so yeah, I, I honestly went into teaching because I wanted to teach students who look like me um, and I want I know that like having students or having teachers at the front of the classroom um, who are fighting for equity um, matters who who are yeah. fighting for just children to be able to have safe spaces to learn and to grow um, is important and so that's honestly why I went into teaching. Um, But I was teaching in Atlanta and I loved my school, loved my students. Um, The pandemic happened and um, we were teaching online virtually for actually like like the end of 2020 and then all of the next school year as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that happened. I, I originally planned to go back to my school, but one thing that did happen, and I was only there for three years, but I was, I had four principals uh, in total, and if I had stayed another year, I would have had five, and so um, just administration was very, um, I guess, transient is the word you yeah. can use, but it, it just, it wasn't stable, and so I needed to go to a place where I knew that um, I could learn from, I just wanted to see see things done differently. I, I didn't want to be in a situation where I was like, oh, okay, I can survive um, in this, but I, I actually wanted to, to, just to see something different and to see how yeah. like, places that could possibly um, or were possibly thriving. And so um, I decided to leave once, once I learned that um, the current principal was going to be leaving. And so I started looking, like, where did I want to move? Um, again, Atlanta is not home for me. And so I was like, okay, I don't necessarily have to stay there. Um, but I also wasn't ready to move back to the Midwest. Um, it's just once you get a taste of sunshine, I think so. <laughs> Uh, it's like sunshine in the winter you're like oh do I really want to live in this gray area I don't think so yeah um and so I was like I'm not gonna move back home either and I was like okay sunshine Florida California not moving to Florida um California uh, LA is expensive I don't know (laughs) um so then I was like okay I don't know where I'm gonna go we'll see and then my dad kind of put a bug in my ear, like, oh, maybe you should, like, think mm-hmm. internationally. And mm-hmm. for him, that's something that he had always been pushing me to do um, mm-hmm. because, I mean, he heard somewhere, like, oh, you don't have to pay taxes. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's just like, 
like your whole salary like your um I think that sounds great and you know just safety for teachers in the U.S. um yeah just yeah. like stress levels it, it's just a yeah. lot and so while I really enjoyed teaching in the U.S. um and I that's the that's what I wanted to do um it just I was like okay let me just go into let me see what's out there let me see mm-hmm. what everyone like raves about and so I just um there are a few like sites um that it's basically like a um portal um that schools use to put their their job openings on and so you can um one is like ISS um which is international school services I think um another one is called search associates um and so I use search actually to um look for schools and they paired me with this uh lady um and she was like helping me to or she's like a recruiter and she's helping me Mm -hmm. to find schools and so when we talked and she's like yeah I just want you to know like you're entering this very late I didn't start looking until February of 2021 and she's like yeah schools start hiring in international schools in October so like you're they're usually done with their hiring process by December so like don't expect to get a job and I was like oh okay um didn't know that um so that was that's a tip for anyone looking into going to teaching abroad um start looking in the fall because that's when all the openings are there um but yeah so I was like okay um I'm still gonna just look and maybe I'll just turn my sites domestically as well and so I used another um search engine to like find um schools they they actually help you for domestic or international and so I can't remember the name of it right now if I think of it I'll say it later but um yeah, so I was looking, I actually interviewed a few places uh, domestically, and then randomly I um, saw that this one school was like, oh, we have a grade three opening in India, and I was like, all right, I messaged my recruiter, and I was like, hey, have you heard of this school, and she's like, oh yeah, actually I have, I just worked with them um, on their, um, like updating their, um, what's the, like when you... Um, get accredited their accreditation so they she just worked with them on accreditation and so um she's like oh yeah like I think that that's a pretty strong school I think you Mm -hmm. should try it and so I started interviewing and things went very quickly um that's another Mm -hmm. thing in the international world like the Mm -hmm. the rounds just move pretty fast just because Mm -hmm. um there, you know, people are trying to put puzzle pieces together. Okay, this this person's moving. This person may come in. There's just a lot to it, like with visas and mm-hmm. housing and and all of that. Yeah. So um, it moves pretty quickly. And so I interviewed with the assistant, the principal first, then principal and assistant principal. Um, I got to talk to the head of school, and within like a week and a half, I had an um, an offer. So yeah, so I think overall to answer your question. 
I was, fast. <laughs> yeah, very fast. <laughs> I was able to, I just wanted to, I, I wanted something new. I wanted a different experience. I wanted somewhere I could learn from um, others um, and just see like, what is teaching like um, in this place? And like, what are best practices? I think like, that's what I'm, I'm always just like wondering, like, how do you do this? And oh, how does your school do that? And so um I, I think like personally, I, I am the person who would stay at a school for like 25 years because I'm like, oh, like intentionality matters and relationships matter and um, consistency matters. But I also think at the end of the day, I heard this like, don't stay, you can stay loyal to the career, but not yeah. don't be loyal to like a actual place or like a school. Right. Um, and, and that, that's a challenge for me because that's not something that, um, that's not like my, my instinct. Um, and, but I'm actually, I'm glad that I listened to that advice because, um, otherwise I would only know what things were like at my school. I wouldn't know, um, like how, like the inner workings of a school, um, work somewhere else. And like, oh, is this actually best practice, um, just learning from new teachers and new principals, all of that stuff. So, yeah. And how would you say those experiences, like your experience teaching in the U S versus teaching in India compare so far? Like, I know you're, you're still in an English speaking school that is, you know, structured by, or or at least, you know, caters to, um, you know, English speaking children, but you mentioned concerns about schools in the U S around like teacher safety and around mental health and, um, your desire to really get more exposure to other modes of thinking and, and uncovering best practices. Have you have you learned more about that or do you have like strong points of comparison? Yeah, I do actually. Um, so the, the biggest thing that's like the same, so we, we still, we use the common core standards um, at my school and it's comparable to the Georgia standards because even though um, like Georgia has their own subset, it's, it's just it's pretty much the common core just adapted to Georgia, um, like history and things like that. Um, but like the math standards are the same. So at, when I left Georgia, I was teaching third grade. Um, and so the math standards are the same. The reading standards um, are exactly the same. Um the social studies and science, we actually use, because um, there are no social studies and science common core, um, but it's, we use the C3 framework at my school um, for social studies. And then um, can't recall exactly what we use for science, but it's very inquiry based. There's a huge population um, of multilingual learners um, at my school. And so um, with them learning English. And so, um, yeah, so it's it's been interesting to take the tips and tricks and tools that I learned um, in the States um, and use them here. But there's a huge difference at the same time because um, in the States, I feel like many, most of the time, um, the language, the home language that um, many of my students had if I was working with them with um, learning English, it was Spanish. And so 
I know some Spanish and so it was easy for me to bring that um, background into the classroom. Um, Cognates were very, very common. And so that was something that I would lean on as well. Um, And Spanish uses um, similar letters. (laughs) And so that was something that was very helpful. Now, for my students who speak Japanese and Korean, I do not speak Japanese or Korean Mm -hmm. or have any um, understanding of the characters that they use. And so it is kind of challenging um, in a sense, Um, even though I have like pronunciations of many words um, end up being, I don't know if you can call that a cognate or not because it's not spelled the same, but it, but anyways, um, but the, the pronunciation is there and it's, it's similar. And so um, it's been, it's become this very interesting um, exploration for my class of just like, um, we, we try to bring in as much home language as possible um, just to, to, to support them in the classroom, which um, I'm a huge advocate for. Um, I think that if we build on what students already know, um, they will have a greater success of learning um, the content, but also learning English. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so a similarity there as well, um, and also a difference. I think for overall, um, just it's an independent school. Um, that's not what I was used to in the States. And so um, time allotted to different things is um, a huge difference. And so like in the States, I was, I had like a two hour reading block um, where now I have like 45 minutes for reading, 45 minutes for writing. Um, But we all know like in the school day, like things just like, it's in flux <laughs> things come up <laughs> um, like that's different um same for math um and so like just the, the schedule overall is is different um one thing that is super cool here which i think like helps the stress levels um or bring them lower the stress levels is that we do have two specials a day and so um, that's something that I had never seen before. And so my students are able to, like, I don't have them for two periods um, every day. Um, their lunchtime, lunch and recess looks a little bit different. Um, they also have two recesses every day. Um, oh, which that is, sounds so um, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so much time um, that, like, I'm not with them, which is, it's just different. I feel like in the States, like it was just like, you're always with your class. You get like mm-hmm. your 30 minute lunch break. Um, and then I, I had recess duty in the States. So that was something, but um, 30 minute lunch break. And then like one special a day. And I just felt like I was working so much more in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have a little bit more time now, but that's not to say um, that, I think the education, the U.S. education system, it still seeps into like what we do here. And so um, while things like there are some things that are taken off of my plate, like um, standardized testing um, or state standardized testing, we still do like map testing and WIDA testing. So we still do things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But 
while there are some things that are taken off my plate, there are still um, like fingerprints of the U.S. Um, education yeah. system all over our school. And so, um, you know, it's it's I feel like there there's pros and cons to to it all. Um, there are still times that I feel um, super stressed and, and I try not to um, do the like which one is like grass is greener kind of comparison exactly like it's like this is one experience and that that was another um and I and I also try not to like glorify this experience either because like yes while I'm not like worried about my safety like there are other you know challenges that we have here um and so yeah it's it's just you kind of I don't want to say pick your poison because that's not what it is but you you there's just pros and cons to both sides and sure. um yeah yeah you're collecting yeah. lessons from both experiences yeah. kind of thing yeah. right got it yeah and i'd love to just hear more about so outside of school and just your experience of being there right because on the one hand your kids a lot of your kids are new and they're kind of experiencing a new place a new culture and for you this is also i imagine like maybe a bit of a culture shock or a learning experience. So how has your outside of the classroom experience been? Yeah. Um, So yeah, moving to India, every time I tell people that, they're like, this is your first. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You went really far for your first international trip. Right. Yeah. Um, And so, um, yeah, it's definitely, India is a huge country um first and I think even now it's like the most populous the most populated yeah I was gonna yeah. say um so that's super cool uh and I think like that's the the biggest shockers like I I don't even think I can comprehend um like how many people are here mm-hmm. um and you you see that all the time just in the traffic in the um in the malls, because I'm always just like, do people not work here? Like, why? <laughs> why are there so many people all the time? Yeah, it's the middle of the day. Like, why is the gym so full? But then when right. I was telling someone that, and she's like, well, when you have a billion people, like, everyone's gonna be on different schedules. And I was mm-hmm. like, true. Like, I, I was. That is, yeah. I was curious, so I just did a quick search. I'm sorry. The U.S. population as of January 1st of this year was 334 million. And the population in India this year was 1.4 billion. Yeah. Wow. It's a different scale. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, so there's just, it's a very lively um, country. There's always something going on. Um, I'm sure, I don't know if you can hear it, if the microphone is picking it up, but um, there's so many I hear birds. Bugs. I hear like crickets maybe. Yeah. Is that what that is? Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> oh, it's birds. Birds, yeah. Okay. So there's so many animals um, yeah. just always around. Um, there, I mean, like the, and where I live, there are a lot of cows that are mm-hmm. like on the street and everything. It's, I mean, I don't know. I think I actually never really saw many movies about India before coming here. So I don't really know how to compare it to that, but um, I don't, it's like, yeah, you'll just be driving and there's definitely cows mm-hmm. in the street. Um, mm-hmm. there's chickens on the side, some some places. Um, definitely monkeys. Um, 
swimming oh, wow. and jumping around. Um, the birds are very loud. So I remember when I first came here, <laughs> I was just like, it is 5 a.m. Like, <laughs> are you going to sleep? Yeah. Um, and I think I've just gotten used to it now. But it's, a, it's actually a beautiful thing because you realize, like, in cities in the States, like, I actually don't hear birds. Like, why is that? Right. Because um, so, the humans chased out the birds, I guess, with all their buildings and everything. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, just like I feel like a different connection to like the nature around me. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of bugs um, just because uh, it doesn't really. Still love that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not my favorite. Um, but then there's like just there's just so much culture and um in the food and the clothes that people wear and mm-hmm. music um religion is pretty big here and so there's so many temples around and all of that and so um the different languages um that are spoken and and so it's just it's super cool um just to be somewhere new to um realize that life is bigger than um just where I'm from or like the places that I've Mm. lived um, in the U.S. and that there are just different ways to do things. And so it's it's actually helped me to appreciate um, just diversity a little bit more um, in Mm. the fact of like, yeah, most of like the way that I do things is not how majority of people do things here. And so like how, Mm. what am I learning? Um, And not that like, how I do it is wrong or anything like that, but mm-hmm. what can I learn from them? What can I um, take away and appreciate or, or even just appreciate and, and still say, okay, but like, I'm going to keep doing this the way that right. I was or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, just opportunities to talk to people and hear their stories um, to share my story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's been, it's, it's, very interesting. Um, when I first came here, I was just trying to figure out like, okay, what am I going to eat? What am mm-hmm. I going to, yeah. um, like, how am I going to get around? And so one thing, um, traffic here is, it's just, it's a lot. There's so many people. Yeah. Um, the They do have traffic laws. They're not always followed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> traffic laws light. exactly and so it's it's very like um there's just like a driving culture here like I am picking up on some things but I also I do not drive and so I did buy a car I have a driver though because I just that is my self-care like I just know that Mm -hmm. if I was I'd be like gripping the wheel. <laughs> yeah, me too. I can barely crawl a park in the U.S. So, <laughs> yeah, and so, um, yeah, so I was. I did get a, a driver, um, and I also do have house help. And so, like these things are pretty common here, um, just because labor is less expensive um, mm-hmm. here. Um, and so it's it's crazy because I talk about it. I'm like. I did not grow up with these things, but right. I am living in a different country um, and able to, um, yeah, like experience right. that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, but I mean, like even that comes with, um, it's, just, it's, it's a whole experience. And so um, 
yeah, so like that's that's something that's how I am able to adjust here a little bit more too. Like I'm not doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, other thing is so like my my first year here, I wasn't. It was really just trying to get acclimated, trying yeah. to figure out how to survive. Um, but in my second year, I've been able to get out just a little bit more. Um, I didn't want my whole experience here to just be um, with the people at my school because uh, it, it can become like a little bubble um, where it's right. like, I don't, it's like, yeah, like this is how we do things. I don't really get out. I don't right. really speak to any um, locals or I don't, um, we all go to the same places. These are the only like mm-hmm. places that I frequent. I didn't want to keep that going. And so um, this year I've been able to get out and take some classes. Um, like most recently I did a pottery class. And so, so fun. yeah, so that was cool. cool. Um, and just like trying new restaurants. Um, yeah, just, just being out and about so that I'm not, again, staying in this expat bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I really, really appreciate about adventurousness and and travel generally, like you're both worldly women who, who have, you know, been exposed to lots of different cultures and have had this experience of sort of questioning why you do things, not necessarily yeah. challenging your right. why you do things in a particular way, but just recognizing that like, oh, my mode of operating is not like standard issue. It's mm-hmm. like one of 8 million different ways to do something. Mm-hmm. And so it I, I have found in my experience, it like helps me to appreciate some things in a different light and, um, you know, sort of pick and choose aspects of different behaviors or, um, you know, ways of thinking about something that I wouldn't have had exposure to before. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like I remember, so I taught, I haven't like lived in another country to teach, but I taught in China for about a month, which for me, I was like, I'm so brave, like a whole month, like, you know, Um, and I remember my favorite thing that I took away was like, so they don't eat cold breakfast, they eat really hot breakfast, like we would have like warm soy milk and like sticky rice for breakfast and buns. And I went back to the US and I was like, I don't want cold cereal ever again. (laughs) I was like, I want a warm breakfast, like a warm meal in the morning. I'm curious here if there's something for you, like that one takeaway that like something that you want to carry back with you for like, for wherever you go next or coming forward in life. And I do, I sometimes eat cereal, but but I do prefer hot breakfast. Um, so, okay, this is, I don't. I, this definitely applies to which the question, but it's it's a little mm-hmm. weird. But um, so in the houses here, um, because it's very common to eat with your hands, mm-hmm. there is a sink in like the dining room. Like that's oh. just um, yeah. a sink in the dining room. So I, I guess so you don't have to like get up and walk to the bathroom. Um, to then go wash your hands, um, and the all of the all of the bathrooms, I think in most houses, or I'm, I think traditional homes, um, they are um, inside like the bedrooms, and so um, it it makes sense. But I think that's something like I'm thinking when mm-hmm. I move back home, or I don't know if I'll build a house or something. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I think that, that is such a cool thing to have a sink right there like in your 
dining room because it's just like yeah you need to wash your hands before you eat people do that you know and so I think like that's something that I I was talking to one of my friends she's a real estate agent and we were talking about that and she's like oh I've never seen that before I'm like yeah like literally every dining room has that um so that's something that I would take away um I'm trying to think of other things I think the just the awareness of um, how everything is interconnected um, mm-hmm. here in I don't I don't I don't know if it's I don't know, I don't know if it's only like because of religion but um, mm-hmm. they most mornings um, many people will uh, decorate um, outside of their house and it's they used to use rice powder. Um, but it was called a column, um, and it's it's like a intricate design that they put outside of their home, um, which basically means like welcome. Um, but they usually um, it used to be rice powder that they um, designed it with, and that was because like they would they were feeding the ants, and so in uh, the culture here, it's just like always taking care of, of everything, like taking care yeah. of the people around you, but then also thinking of the animals. And so there are many street dogs that live outside. And so I'm like, where do these street dogs get food? Literally everybody feeds the street dogs. Feeds the <laughs> That's why there's so many animals and birds around because like the people here are caring for them. And so I think just um, realizing like the interconnectedness of of everything Um, because in my mind I'm like feed the ants no (laughs) like that is a living thing um and so why wouldn't we take care of it um yeah so it's just just that mindset um that everything's interconnected and it is our duty to to love the world around us and so um yeah I, those, those are two things, the sink and, um, yeah. That's beautiful. I, I think too, cause like, it's like Western versus Eastern context too. Right. And so like, I love this beautiful idea of like interconnectedness and like, um, cause I, that resonates with me a little bit when I was teaching in China where it was a lot about like, I feel like in the U S it was like, oh, there's like grades, like you're a first grader, you're a second grader. And at least when we were teaching, we had a lot more time where we had open, for like the older kids to mentor the younger kids. And like, there was less of a division of like, your age is your identity and more like we all come together and we help each other. Yeah. 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 Working in policy in the U.S., I have to to say, uh, interconnectedness is not front of mind for people. Yeah. I would love if if there was more of that here, if there was, you know, some adoption of that mindset here. I think that would make a lot of things better. I think so too. Uh, so we always ask our guests about what are some misconceptions that, you know, other people might have about um, the work that you do. So I'm curious, within international teaching or education, do you think there are like, you know, common misconceptions and um, what are some of those? Yeah, I think that the first one, the first misconception that I'll speak to is um, that it's like completely different from mm-hmm. the um, I or like, oh, I'm leaving this U.S. education system and going somewhere 
new and it's like not going to be any of the same problems. And I would say that it's, it's actually, it, it is pretty similar in, in different ways. And so I think I spoke to that earlier, but it's. Yeah. You called it fingerprints, which I loved. Yeah. 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 And so you, um, one thing that I've been grappling with is just like, I think in the States, um, and it's a huge conversation around it now, just with um, diversity, equity, inclusion, justice mm-hmm. efforts um, in the States. I, I feel like we were making pretty big gains um, for a while, and now we see what's going on um, in that context um, in the States. but. Um, I was worried when I came here, I was like, well, what does that look like for me? Like I, like my identity as a black woman teacher or educator, um, like what does that mean um, in the context of moving abroad? And so, and what I've uncovered is that like um, racism, patriarchy, um, capitalism, like the, it stretches wide and far. Like there's no really stone unturned there. And so many of the same things uh, you see within the international teaching world, just, it looks a little different. It's not exactly the same because the students aren't always like black or brown um, in the States, but it still shows up in international teaching. And so um, I've, so I'm, it's like it's not like you're like leaving one um, system and like entering a different one. It just it looks different. Um, right. So that's like one misconception. The other one is that, and maybe this is just a misconception for me. I don't know, um, but that you save like all this money, and <laughs> that's a good one. Not that I haven't saved, yeah. But um, so one like different regions offer different salaries for teachers. So Mm -hmm. like, um, from what I hear, again, this is only my first post. So I, um, most, some some of my information is just from other teachers that I know have been teaching abroad for um, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. But um, in Asia uh, is usually where the highest salaries are um, and the best packages with like the best benefits and everything. Mm Um, Europe, it's a highly sought after place just because Mm -hmm. it's not too much different from the U.S. in the sense of like day-to-day life. Um, And so that you may, the salaries may be comparable to the U.S., but at the same, um, like here I get housing and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not something that's always a part of packages in Europe. Um, just because cost of living is so so expensive, um, and then traditionally in like South America, uh, the salaries aren't as um, high as you would see like in in Asia. So um, where I am working, it's a it's a comparable salary to the U.S., um, but I'm not paying for housing, and then you do have you can do like the foreign um, foreign earned. Um, income so you don't necessarily have the same taxes or whatever Mm -hmm. um but so you are technically I feel like I am making so much more money 
But a part of international teaching is that you travel. And so literally every <laughs> holiday, like people, yeah. if, if you have three consecutive days off, teachers are out. Like they are traveling to nearby countries, traveling far away. Like summer itineraries are just booked and busy. And so um, that's honestly how I've lived my life too. Not necessarily every three-day weekend, but um, many times that I'm off, I do not just stay here. I am going somewhere. And so I... I'm I, like when I I moved here, I was like, oh yeah, I, in my two years, I'm gonna save fifty thousand dollars, blah blah blah. blah <laughs> I'm gonna move back, and now I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fifty thousand dollars is was how like you spent that in Europe last summer. Yeah, like, like you're, I guess you're getting rich with experiences, right? Exactly. And <laughs> you're just different kind of rich, <laughs> exactly. which is like great. I and I I'm I don't that's like that's my philosophy for life anyways like I'd rather um like have those experiences and live my life than think about like what is in the bank account all the time but I think like just going like people are always just like oh yeah you're like you'll just save so much money and I'm like yes and I have different expenses Um, yeah yeah what's been your favorite trip that you've taken or favorite place that you've visited thus far um, so last summer I went to Sweden, uh, I went to Stockholm. Uh, one thing that I really miss being here is, is live music. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm a huge, like, um, R&B, hip hop, jazz, um, fan. And so I don't really get that here. And so because of that, I'm like, anytime there's a break or anytime there's an artist, um, I try to um, base my travels around that. And so last year, um, there was a festival in Stockholm, and that was the first place I traveled um, last summer. And I fell in love with Stockholm. I was like, wow, like this place, it was beautiful. There were just so many people outside. Uh, the sun came up at like four in the morning and didn't set until like <laughs> And this yeah. was like, it was summer. I love sunshine. That's why you moved to India. <laughs> I think it was, it's partly, I love the city because it was just like a huge stark contrast to India. Um, love India, but then sometimes you do just need a break sometimes. And so um, it was the first country that I uh, traveled to that wasn't home um, while being here. And so I was like, wow. Like, I, I just, I really enjoyed um, Stockholm. So that's probably my favorite so far. Uh, but this summer, or this year, actually, I have a lot more um, travels up my sleeve. So we'll see if we'll that's check in with you and get an update. Yeah. And speaking of what's next for you, so I'm just curious, Kara, where do you see yourself? Like, what's on the horizon for you? Do you think you'll be in India for a couple more years? Are you going to travel? Are you going to teach in every continent? Are you going to come back to the U.S.? What's your dream? <laughs> Yeah, I think one thing about me is that I'm I'm really I'm open to anything and everything. So, um, you're so brave. Yeah. <laughs> you're so yeah. brave and so open. Just like listening to you talk about like how open you are and how much you learned while you were there, it's just really inspiring to see like how 
you know, you overcome like regular fears, right? Like fear of moving to a new country, fear of whatever. You're just owning it. You're brave. And I just really admire it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I came here and I got my like my first I dipped my toe in the water. I'm like, OK, I think I could teach on every continent. Like that's that's yeah. literally what I told myself. Like I want to every continent and I want and even I'll Antarctica. Right. <laughs> just, kidding. Um, just kidding nah so there I would just travel but yeah <laughs> it's on the list so yeah I I that's what that was like my first thing going in I was like okay I'm going to find a school on every continent and try to teach there then um and I was like oh wait I actually really enjoy being here in India so then I was like okay maybe I'll stay here for way longer um, I'll definitely be here through next year um, not sure what that looks like after that um, but I have signed the contract for next year um, and then I'm also like maybe I'll go back to school uh, and then sometimes I have like FOMO of what I'm missing out on in the States. So then I'm like, okay, maybe I'll just move back home and settle down um, and just continue traveling. So honestly, I don't know. Um, I have thought about the idea of like, what would happen if I, what would life look like if I didn't teach anymore? Excuse me. If I didn't teach anymore. And that, that I was so sad when I thought about that. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think I'm in a place where I want to stop teaching just mm -hmm. yet. Uh, I don't think that I will be the career long educator um, mm -hmm. or classroom teacher like I envisioned for myself when I was like five years old. I remember, I remember talking to you about that, like during breakthrough, I remember you being like, it's going to be like a career, like lifelong for me. And yeah. And so, I would love to do that. Um, I don't necessarily have aspirations to like move outside of the classroom, but I also know that teaching and while simultaneous while simultaneously raising a family is um, hard. And so I think that it would have it would I would have conflicting um, beliefs and because I I give my all to the classroom, but I also know that I would love like. I would not feel comfortable like missing a kid's award yeah. because I was at school, you know? And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. So what I'm starting to realize is that I think there's like a season for everything. And so this may be my season for teaching. Um, and when that season is up, I may just have to be okay with that. Um, but I think in, in whatever sense, I think I'll always be, Definitely always be a learner, but also be an educator in some sense, even if that doesn't look like classroom teaching. Is this a model that you talk about with your students, like just having an openness to experience and how to be sort of a student of the world kind of a thing? Is this something that they see their teachers who are also sort of these transient, uh, this transient community in and out of these schools that you you all are sort of like collecting in this space by happenstance, but you are creating an environment that is enriching, that is, you know, communal, that is interconnected, that's, you know, bringing everyone's perspectives to bear in, in this sort of like microcosm. Is, is that a conversation that you have with your students or that comes up at all? Yeah, it does. I think the best teachers are the ones who 
know how to bring their life into the classroom. And so uh, we definitely have conversations. Um, I don't know if I necessarily compare it, you know, like, oh, Miss Reed may not be a teacher. Like, I don't necessarily talk to them about that. But um, just the, the life lessons that I'm learning, the um, one thing that has been really big in my classroom um, over the last few years is just like talking about progress versus perfection mm-hmm. um, and growing and perseverance and um, just like, I guess, being like, what does it mean to be a, a good person or to have good character, that type of stuff? And so um, one thing that I'm very into is uh, fitness and, and working out. And so, yeah, I talk to them about that all the time. Like, Miss um, Reed is, I'm at the gym and my trainer is trying to um, help me to grow. Um, and the only way that I can, you know, keep growing is if I'm, you know, being committed to the work that I'm doing there and, you know, like just like teaching the life lessons that I've, I've learned there. Um, a lot of stuff about pottery has come into my classroom as well, um, especially just because my my teacher or instructor there, um, sometimes like I'm, I'm the only, like only English speaking, like everyone there speaks English, but I don't speak the the language that they also speak. And so sometimes he starts to instruct in the local language. And then I just like, sometimes I do zone out and I'm, I'm like, oh, I understand how you all feel sometimes in this classroom. Like when Miss Reed is, um, like, I feel like I'm a multilingual learner, like in that space um, there. And so like just being able to connect with them um, in that sense. So yeah, I definitely bring in outside um, my my personal life um, to the classroom where appropriate um, and, and definitely telling them to like be risk takers. And, and I think also knowing, putting myself in this situation um, to, to take risk, to grow, to like being aware of like, I don't know if it's yeah, kind of like in a, in a meta way of just like being aware of my personal lived experience now um, and how I'm experiencing everything. It really helps me to, I guess, then teach them those like life lessons um, that maybe, cause again, like they don't always, this is like their first time maybe having a, a fight with their friend or um, just like feeling uncomfortable in a situation and not really knowing how to, the words to say, to like express themselves or whatever. And being aware of like how I felt in those situations then helps me to be able to like, oh, this may be what's going on with them. Like, I let me try to help them through that. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's, I think as a teacher, uh, it's, just, it's wild how, um, like, yes, I'm an adult, but I think as, like kids are also experiencing this world that we live in. And so, um, yeah, just trying to help them to, to navigate through it. Yeah, I feel I hear people say this expression, like the most important things I ever had to learn in life, I learned in kindergarten or first grade. And I feel like that's so true. I feel like so many 
problems I think of as adult problems, if you really like get to the root of them, they're about exactly what you were saying. They're about like finding the word to express what you want to, or they're about how do you resolve a conflict? And, you know, I think that like, I love your, like how you embody like lifelong learning and the decisions that you make and like the way that you think. And um, I think if we raise a generation of kids who think like that, the world is going to look really different in, you know, five years, 10 years. So just so cool that you get to be, you know, a really a global citizen and part of like international education. Cause like, I would think that, you know, when you're working in Georgia or the U S like you, you know, you're making an impact in a, a local or a national context, but now you have an international expertise. So I'm just excited to see what you do next with it. Yeah. Thank you. I love the, the, the similar threads that you're recognizing too. Like I, I definitely came into this conversation with misconceptions about it being a fundamentally different experience and that it was going to be this, you know, huge revelation about education writ large. But what you're describing is really just boiling down to really foundational questions about like, what does it mean to be a decent person? How, how can I interact with the people around me and have a positive impact on their life and their well-being? And that happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's the, that's the beauty um, of just relationships in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, getting back to like, we all are very different, but then at the same time, we're all human and how and we're experiencing this life um sometimes in different ways but but also like we're still experiencing this life um together and so um yeah it's how do we do that yeah how do we learn from each other and teach each other yeah well thank you so much Kara. this was so much fun Uh, i learned so much from just hearing about your experience are there any questions that we didn't ask you that you want to talk about or anything you'd want to add I think I would just say like for anyone just thinking about it, thinking about international teaching, um, definitely do your research or take the jump. Um, it's, it's a great experience. Um, I think like living in a different country, traveling, all of that is, will always be life changing. And so if you have the opportunity uh, take it and you never know where it will lead. Yeah. And how can listeners continue to follow? Do you have a blog also that you are, that you write? Can they, fo- where can they follow you and hear about your adventures? Yeah. So I do have a blog, um, updated, not as frequently as <laughs> I love, but, um, definitely on there and sharing my experiences when I can. But yeah, you can find me at um, triplelteach.com. So that's triplelteach.com. And yeah, there are some things already on there just about my experiences and my travels um, and more to come. Amazing. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation, Kara. Thank you so much for chatting with us. 